Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, session number eight. Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, where unfulfilled desk jockeys become fearless entrepreneurs. Learn from corporate escapees and world changers who are successfully building businesses that matter. Here's your host, Caleb Wojcik. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on another session of the Cubicle Renegade Podcast. Today I'm sitting here with Barrett Brooks, who is the founder of livingformonday.com and is the host of the Living for Monday show. Thanks for joining us today, Barrett. Oh man, it's such a pleasure, Caleb. We've been, uh, I guess this has been a long time coming since you joined me over on the Living for Monday show. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into your background. What would you start doing in high school and what did you get into in college, both educational wise and professionally? Absolutely. So I guess I've always been uh, a little bit of a hustler. I, I can think back. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. You know, where did these entrepreneurial uh, inklings come from? And I guess it started back when I was eight or 10 and I went around the neighborhood and I would basically knock on doors and ask people if they would let me wash their car. <laughs> and so, you know, it'd, it'd be like a, the rains coming in and the next day and people would look me in the face and be like, you're crazy, man. I'm not, I'm not paying you to wash my car today. But I think that was kind of where things started. And then I got into uh, mowing lawns in high school. So I had a lawn business where I would go, go take care of about 15 different lawns every weekend. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that was just kind of where everything got started as far as being an entrepreneur was concerned. So I guess that's like the early background. Mm-hmm. And then so from there, where, where'd you go, go to ahead. school then for college? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I took my entrepreneurial talents over to the university of Georgia in Athens, mm-hmm. Georgia. Um, I spent most of my life growing up in Atlanta. So, uh, Athens was only a, a short hour drive away, but far enough that I could kind of escape from the typical crowd and from my mm-hmm. parents and everything. And I studied accounting and finance there, which was kind of the typical path, you know, be an investment banker, be an accountant. Mm -hmm. And that was what everyone told me was the right thing to do. And I don't know if I would go back and do it the same, but nonetheless, I got some good uh, financial background and skills out of that whole deal. And then when you finished college, did you go to work for a company doing those things? I did. So, you know, I I guess I I looked at it as kind of having like three options really and everything I could do, like the whole planet of work, I considered three options. Mm -hmm. I could be a CPA, which is a certified public accountant, which I quickly determined was not the path I wanted to go down. I could be an investment banker, which would mean I would work 80 to 100 hour weeks and hang hang out a lot with Excel which I also determined was probably not for me, in addition Mm -hmm. to the fact that they probably would not have welcomed me. And then third was that I could be a management consultant. And that was kind of like the sexy term that everybody thought was the pinnacle of jobs coming out of school. Mm -hmm. And that was what I went for. You know, I kind of uh, went to a few recruiters who recruited for some consulting firms and, and asked them about my chances for getting a job like that. And they were like, well, we hire about two people from the University of Georgia into these jobs every year. So you might want to think about something else. And, that and that's was multiple a, companies saying that? Yeah, that was multiple companies. You so know, it was pretty it competitive. Was, yeah, it was pretty competitive. And, and Georgia just wasn't, it wasn't a school where these companies were recruiting from at the time. Um, so I took that as a challenge. So I was like, okay, so you're telling me I can't have that. Well, naturally, that's what I want to have. Right. So that was kind of what I ended up doing. And mm. based on that, um, you know, I worked my, worked my tail off to get in the door and I actually, interestingly, the first time I applied for the job, I didn't get an interview. 
And then I ended up networking with a guy who was a former executive at the company I went to work for. And after I met him, he said, well, let me see what I can do basically. Cause I know you didn't get an interview, but I'll place a call and just see if they'll, if they'll help me out. Mm -hmm. So he placed a call after we met and uh, got everything lined up and it was like magic the next week an interview slot lined up or opened up rather. And that was how I got in the door. And so you're starting this first job and this is like right after graduation, like a couple weeks after or so. Yeah. So I graduated, you know, the typical graduation is in May and I graduated in December. So I went to work, you know, I, I basically celebrated Christmas with my parents and then went to work, uh, like two weeks after graduation or something like that, maybe three weeks. And what so was, it was right. What after was school. the job? What, what were you doing? What did you learn from it? What didn't you like? So management consulting is like this huge industry, right? I mean, mm -hmm. people talk about it like it's this one thing. And what I quickly came to realize was that this idea, like, you know, maybe you've seen the, the movie um, Up in the Air with George Clooney. Yeah. So a lot of people think, you know, everybody's doing that. They're, they're getting on planes, they're going to companies, they're firing people every day, like, you know, all this kind of thing. And really, there's this huge array of work that consultants do. It's everything from like IT outsourcing which is where a lot of the offshoring is going on all the mm -hmm. way over to like strategic consulting where you're working with uh, senior executives at huge fortune 500 companies. Yeah. And the company I went to work for is probably somewhere in the middle. So we did like process consulting type work was what they called it uh, or process improvement. And so we kind of worked with executives of mid to large companies. And so like the one project that I was on before I left was, we were helping them streamline in industry jargon their international tax processes. And what that really meant on the ground was that I was placing calls to people in Africa and the Middle East every day, trying to find documentation that they had lost that would help them file their tax returns that year. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to fix the broken process of like the fact that they were essentially printing out tax documentation and then just stuffing it in a file cabinet somewhere never to be found again. And so you're going into these companies, you're figuring out all these processes that are completely screwed up. You have to first decide, okay, what should this process be? And then you have to convince them to actually implement it. And so it's really yeah, analytical. That's a, that's and a, did that fit with you? That's a much more concise way of putting it. So yes. Basically, <laughs> that's my job as an interviewer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we were uh, looking at processes, figuring out how they should be, and then working with their the company to to make them better, and that fits with me. Like I like solving problems, but the the big thing that did not resonate with me is that there was not there was not like a person on the other end of the line. Um, yeah, we were helping people do their jobs better, but in mm -hmm. the grand scheme of things, we were working in these massive companies with huge bureaucracies and. There was nobody that was really vested that like yeah. felt the impact of the work that we were doing. And that was just, it didn't resonate with me. You know, it was, it was tough to see how, what I was doing mattered. And, and that was right. a problem. Right. And one of the things that I struggled with when I was in my job was I wanted to do work that, you know, was fit to me that maybe only I could do. And it, it just felt like I was a piece of this bigger thing. And if I was gone, someone else would do it kind of thing. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of like students and young professionals starting their careers now. And I tell every one of them, if you go to work for a big company, you are replaceable. I don't care who you are. Your role can be filled tomorrow if you decide to leave. And that was the reality. Uh, you know, did they want me to leave? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe my team appreciated me. But 
the reality is that a week later they filled that spot with somebody else and it was not a big deal. So, Mm -hmm. um, I definitely felt that way. I knew I was replaceable. Mm -hmm. So talk about your transition to what you do now from that job. Did you save up money before you took the leap? Did you have ideas for what you wanted to do or? Yeah. So luckily I did save money. I had, um, about six months of expenses saved up, which was a good thing. And that was, that was kind of my lifeline. Um, and I had a little bit of an idea of what I wanted to do. I went through this leadership development program in college and we, it really focused on first developing your sense of self-awareness mm-hmm. and then applying that in like an organizational or business setting. Right. And so basically what that means is they're teaching you to become a leader. And to me, those concepts applied so directly, almost no matter what work you were doing. And what I found was that most people weren't getting a lot of, a lot of that material in their everyday education. Instead, they were being taught you know, technical theories that really didn't apply that much in the real world, and it wasn't really helping that much. So mm-hmm. you know, I kind of looked around at my peers before I left, and there were so many people in my situation where they were there, they didn't feel like their work mattered, they weren't fulfilled with what they were doing, and they didn't really have an out. And I wanted to help you with that because I, th- I think that that's a problem if you get all these people graduating from college and enthusiastic and then they get out there and they're like, okay, work sucks. I'm going to have to drudge through life for 30 years mm-hmm. and you know, who knows if I'll ever do anything that, that matters to me. So I wanted to help people kind of avoid that situation basically coming out of school. And so what was the first thing you did to start doing that for people? So immediately I kind of jumped in with um, a framework, I guess, of how would I go back and redo my career search if I knew everything that I know now, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at what, I started studying basically what the most effective components are for finding a job that actually matters to you. And so I went out and I read a bunch of books, I revisited all of my uh, leadership development material and I, I kind of started to synthesize all of it. And so I created this framework and I got a group of 10 people together and I said, okay, I'm going to give you free one-on-one coaching if you'll give me feedback on this framework that I'm putting together. Mm-hmm. And the basic idea was like, okay, I think this could work, but I really have no idea. And I don't feel right. comfortable selling something to people that I don't know works. And so I got together with these 10 people and we met every week one-on-one and we worked through this, um, what's now become this 12-step process for finding a job that matters. And what was cool is we saw a 100% success rate. All of those people either transitioned to or started in a job that they were excited about and that uh, was making them fulfilled, basically. That's awesome. And we're going to get into later each of those 12 things and talk about those a little bit. So you started doing that with just people you knew of or people you knew from school and friends and family? Yeah, so I kind of tried to get a combination of people that I knew from school and also people that I didn't know as well because, you you know, sometimes you can skew the results if you're only working with people that know you well or or like people that are already high achievers or whatever it might be. So I tried to get a good mix of people and there were some guys that remember members of my fraternity that were kind of younger guys there were other people that I worked with in student organizations that were just um, generally leadership oriented. And then there were some people that, you know, I had never really worked with before that I just kind of put it out to my network and said, hey, I'm doing this thing. Uh, if you know anybody that, that fits well with these criteria, let me know and, and they'll get some free coaching and free advice, basically. 
Yeah, and so this is a really good framework if you want to start coaching or you want to offer a product or a service of some sort is to work with a bunch of people for free, test it out. You had a 100% success rate, so you didn't have to change very much, but you still probably learned a lot of things and made adjustments along the way from that. And then you can later package it up, sell it, coach people about that same process. That's right. That's right. And, and I would recommend to anybody, so I know your audience is kind of uh, entrepreneurs, people that want to escape um, the cube farm basically. And if you're going to go start something or if you're going to build a product or service, give it away for free while somebody else is paying you to do the work basically. So if you're in a job, even if you're unfulfilled, even if it means you've just got to bust it for a couple months to test something out with a group of people, focus in on that group that you want to help and go test a process for free with them because they will give you so much feedback and so much gratitude just for the fact that you're helping them for free that you'll know exactly where the hiccups are going to be, you'll know where the problems are in your thought process, and you'll just learn a lot about what it is that you're trying to do. Um, and you can do all that while you're still in your job and getting paid and everything. Yeah, and I, I, I love this theory from Danielle Laporte, and she talks about for like six to 18 months, set a timeline of like, You'll do as much free work, as much cheap work as possible. And then when you get to that point where you feel comfortable, where you, you can flip the switch and start charging the rates you want to charge, then you shift gears and you turn down free clients and all that kind of stuff. But you learn so much and grow such a network in that beginning phase that instead of just starting by charging and just having no clients and things like that. Oh my God, absolutely. I mean, so I'm 15 months in now, right? Since I started living for Monday and mm -hmm. I'm just now about to launch, or I guess by the time this goes live, we will have just launched our career search product that is based on this curriculum and framework that I developed. Mm -hmm. and, and we tested it first a year ago and we've just been refining it and working with people. And, and eventually we asked people to pay for it and we've refined it some more and now we're turning it into a scalable product. But the basic idea is that if you can go out there and get the feedback, then when it's time to charge, just like you said, you'll be able to charge what you're worth because you can prove that it gets results essentially. And that's right. huge. I mean, most people don't do that. They just create some little rinky dink thing right off the bat and nobody wants it and nobody trusts it. Yeah. I mean, you have testimonials for things like your sales page. You have case studies you can include in the course when you sell it to make it more tangible. And yeah, I, I just really love that process and excited to see where career Kickstarter goes. And so, so let's dive into this framework that you have. What, what do you call this again? Okay. So I call it the program overall is called career Kickstarter. And the basic idea behind it is that there are 12 fundamental steps to finding a job that matters. Um, is it the one like godsend of a process for finding a job? No. I mean, there's other ways to find a job, right? Mm -hmm. But this one I have found is very effective in helping people understand what they want, build a brand around who they are, like as mm -hmm. a person, and then go out and find what it is they're looking for in the job market, basically. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't just necessarily a job at a big company. It could be a job at a startup. It could be creating your own job. Like this is flexible as to, you know, the, the term job in the traditional sense. Absolutely. And, you know, so many people get turned off to, you know, that word job, especially in our generation, right? Like everybody wants to work for themselves on some level or have a high level of responsibility. But what most of the research shows is that 
people can be very fulfilled working for somebody else. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of being intentional about what you're, what you're looking for and going out and finding that. Uh, the problem that a lot of us have is we just kind of stumble into a job and then we end up there and we get comfortable and we don't want to make a change at that point. So yeah, this can apply to if you're looking for a job at a big company, a small company, a startup, even if you wanted to start your own business, the same concepts, you would have to work a little harder to kind of extract the meaning from them, but the same concepts apply because you're, you're creating a job for yourself if you are uh, building a business, basically, and you need to be intentional about that process. Exactly. So let's jump into the first one. What's the first one? Okay, so the first step is, is just getting your mind right, right? Like having the right mindset about this whole process because the reality is that if you're going to find a job that really matters to you and you want to be fulfilled, that's not easy. Like I'm not kidding anybody, right? This is not sit down on a Saturday afternoon and wake up on Sunday with a job that you're freaking pumped about. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to be ready to put some hustle in, put the hard work in. You've got to be willing to say no to the wrong opportunities. And you've got to be willing to get out of your comfort zone and put yourself out there and actually go do the work to find what it is that you're looking for. And at the end of the day, if, if you know what you're looking for and you can't find it, mm -hmm. you've got to look yourself in, in, the, in the face or in the mirror and say, okay, am I going to create the job that I want or am I going to settle for something less than what I want? Because those are your two options at that point. So you've got to have a mindset that you're not going to settle for anything less than what it is you're looking for. And then you've got to be willing to put that hard work in. So that's kind of that mindset that you've got to have going into this whole thing. Great. I love that. And, and you know, it's, it's helpful for mindset type stuff or planning to get out of your comfort zone. I always like to do it when I'm on a trip or I just like drive somewhere that I've never worked before or sat at. I mean, I used to do it like at libraries and in college. And it's just like, if you get out of your comfort zone, you can kind of think better and further ahead without being distracted. That's right. And, and it's almost like if you can go to a place that more embodies the kind of life that you want to live. So like, I love small town, like local coffee shops, for example. Um, I don't like to work at like the big chain coffee shops as much. It's just not the same atmosphere. And I get a different feeling when I go work at a local, um, just kind of like trendy type of place. And that may sound a little lame, but like that's where I do my best work. You know, it's just a different kind of environment. And so if you can find that place like that, I think it'll really help you get out of your typical mind frame and, and picture yourself somewhere else, basically. Okay, so you're in the right mindset, and then what comes next? Okay, so step two in this process is looking at your purpose and passion, right? So first of all, your purpose goes to this whole concept that Simon Sinek really popularized with his book and talk on Start With Why, right? Mm -hmm. And so the question that you need to ask yourself is, why do I do what I do, right? Why uh, do I take action on the things that I take action on? Why do I like solving the problems that I like to solve? And essentially what I found is that with everyone I work with, if you ask them why they do what they do enough times, um, it gets back to, I want to help people, right? Okay, so great. So everyone starts from that framework. And so the question is, okay, why do you want to help people? What is the driving belief for the reason you want to help people? And so, you know, maybe some people that work for the American Cancer Society, maybe they had relatives who suffered through a, a tough battle with cancer and that's mm -hmm. why they show up to work every day. So. For me, I went through this interesting process where, uh, well, interesting process. So I had a crappy start to my college career and um, I got myself in some trouble with the law and things like that. So I had to overcome that and I had to mm -hmm. really battle back to even get myself in a good place. And so my fundamental driving belief is that 
people have potential to make a big impact in the world and to really overcome anything that they face. And that's why I do what I do, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to determine why you do what you do. And then the passion part, there's been these huge arguments about this thing back and forth about what passion means and do you chase your passion and blah, blah, blah. I think you've written about it before. So my essential take on it is that you've got to find your personal sweet spot. And this comes from books like Jim Collins' Good to Great or Chris Gillibo's $100 Startup. The idea is that you've got to find the intersection between either a passion or an interest, so that's one thing, two, the skills and experience that you have in your past or in your kind of toolbox, Mm -hmm. and then third, how you provide value to the world, basically, or to whoever you're going to go to work for. And so if you can find the intersection between that, we call that your personal sweet spot. So you got to know why you do what you do, and then you got to know the what uh, that comes from kind of finding that personal sweet spot that you're looking at. Yeah, and I love that. The idea of the convergence is what Chris Gillibo calls it between, you know, something that you love to do or you're interested in or you have the skills and experience for and something that people are willing to pay for. And, and you find that overlap and that's where you can get that convergence. So, you, so once you, you know your passion and your purpose of the work you want to do, what comes next? Definitely. So the next question is, is kind of like, how do I want to do the things that I do in the future, right? And so the third and fourth steps then in this process are defining your values and then defining your strengths. So let's start with values, right? So your values are the ideals basically that you want to hold yourself to over time. And so these might be things like integrity or um, courage or excellence or you know, you can, you can look through these lists of words basically that describe types of people that you admire essentially. Mm-hmm. And you probably hold yourself to, to these ideals already and you don't even know it. You know, maybe they come from your family or from your experience or just from your worldview. Mm-hmm. And so what your values do for you is they give you kind of a framework for making decisions, right? So if I want to hold myself to like three values of um, family first, always have integrity and do excellent work. Well, whenever I'm making a a decision that's a tough one and I don't know the right answer, I can ask myself, you know, is this going to help me put my family first? Is this going to help me do excellent work? And is this going to help me maintain my integrity? And if I can say yes to those three things, then I know it's at least a pretty safe decision that I'm going to probably be happy with and aligned with over time, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea here is that you want to find a company that your values align with so that you're working with like-minded people that will make decisions along the same lines. And so somebody who popularized that is Tony Shea, right, of Zappos.com. He's mm-hmm. the CEO there and they hire based on shared values and it works very, very well for them. Most companies won't do that, so you've gotta be proactive about it when you're going out and finding a job to find those companies that align with you, basically. Yeah, and I'm blanking on the name of his book, Happy, Something Happiness. Delivering happiness. Delivering happiness. You almost yeah. made me forget as well. <laughs> yeah, um, and he has a great interview with Kevin Rose on the web show called Foundation that it, it just came out about a month or so ago. Um, just talking about the the culture, of the company, and one thing that's really interesting that they do at Zappos that I want to bring up is anyone that joins a company, even if it's like an executive, has to go and work phone support for it's like four weeks, I think, and so. You, you just, you're like at the front lines. And so it's so important to focus on the customer at Zappos that that's what you do like for a month, even if you're like going to be on the board or something like that. And I just liked it. I liked his philosophy of, of building that culture with the company. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, companies like that, it's like you get a feel for who's, who's your customer really, you know, and who is it that you're serving at the end of the day. And that, to me, helps you identify so much more with the work that you're doing. Uh, and I think that's huge. He just he does a great job. I mean, he's kind of the model for creating great culture and in aligning his employees with where the company's going. And so you have this you have this cultural alignment thing. And then what's the fourth item? Okay, so strengths, right? So this was the next one. So, you know, there's a ton of a ton of research out there on um, how important natural strengths are to being fulfilled in your work, right? Mm -hmm. And so the basic idea is that there's skills and then there's strengths. Skills are learned things, right? Skills are the things that you can pick up, whether it's Photoshop or video editing or accounting or whatever it might be. But your strengths are things that you're just inherently good at. It's the way that you do your best work, basically. Mm -hmm. And so the tool that I love to use, it's like 10 bucks online. It's called StrengthsFinder 2.0. And basically what it does is it returns these five strengths themes that are naturally just kind of inherent in, in you as a person. And what you want to do is you want to find work where you can use these strengths pretty much every day. And what Gallup's research showed was that people who use their strengths every day are more than twice, twice as likely to be fulfilled and engaged in their work, which means that they're working harder, they're enjoying their work more, they're more likely to get promotions, all this kind of stuff. So strengths are huge uh, when you're looking for a kind of job that's going to allow you to do your best work and be fulfilled. And how long does going through Strengths Finder 2.0 take? Is it like a couple hour thing? It take a weekend or a week? Less than 30 minutes, right? So it's like a very quick process. They send you a whole report on your strengths and how to put them into action. And uh, they, they send you like questions that you can answer to dive deeper into them. And the basic thing I tell people to, to ask themselves is number one, where have I demonstrated these strengths in the past? And number mm -hmm. two, how would these strengths add value to an employer or to a business that I'm creating in the future, right? And so the idea is that if you know those two things in an interview or when you're sitting down to create your company, you can relate to how you've displayed it in the past, but also project forward to show your potential so that the interviewer or your company knows how you're going to add value, right? Yeah. And so it's, is it similar to like a Myers-Briggs test in a way? Yeah, so it's basically just asking you to kind of assess like your natural tendencies. Um, and so it, it puts you through a series of questions and kind of asks you what you identify more with and mm -hmm. then returns the results. So, yeah, it's very much like a Myers-Briggs type assessment. Cool. So, so you have your strengths and then what, what comes next? Okay, so the next thing is that you've got to know where you're going, right? Like what is it that you're building towards in the future? And um, the concept I call it is vision, right? Or, or another way to say it is what kind of impact are you going to make with your life, basically? And so what that comes down to is you've got to describe what your ideal lifestyle is in the future. Mm -hmm. Most people just work towards a job because they feel like it's what they're supposed to do. And, you know, they're putting retirement off till 30 years down the road. Well, maybe that's not what actually matters to you. Maybe what you want is to have this certain type of lifestyle where you have a nice little, like, apartment in the city and two dogs and three kids or whatever and so you just need to know what it is that you're working for and how your work fits into that right and so there's kind of these we call them the seven fulfillment factors in your life and career is just one of those and unless you have a vision for your overall life it's very hard to know how your career fits into what it is that you're trying to do and what kind of impact you want to make with your life so knowing yeah, people, where you want to go people sometimes segment it they're just like I have my work stuff and then life. And it's like, those are the two buckets, but you're saying there's 
there's seven. So like, what are some of those other ones? Okay, so it's, it's your career, your financial well-being, uh, your physical well-being, um, your family well-being, your social well-being. So that would be like friends, uh, hanging out with friends, whoever it is that you have in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've got two more. So your faith and then like your mental health. So, you know, what are you learning? What are you investing in yourself to develop as a person? So I think those are all seven of them. So, yeah, I like I like how it's more spread out than that. It's not as black and white as um, like I'm going to have this job. I'm going to go. I'm going to clock in. I'm going to clock out. I'm going to leave that life here. And then I have this other life like and especially when you start working for yourself, those lines are just so blurred that you really have to have a handle on each of those different areas and focus on them each individually, too. So so I love that. So and then after that, what's next? Okay, so these first five concepts, right, kind of roll up into creating your ideal job description. And so if you list your purpose and passion, your values, your um, strengths, and then your vision kind of on a sheet of paper, and then you mold them a little bit, that's what um, creates your ideal job, basically. So that's what you're looking for when you go out into the world to find your job or to create your company. And so now all your job to do is to evaluate opportunities against your ideal job description. And what that does is it gives you this framework for making a decision about what opportunities to pursue. And if a given opportunity matches 75 to 80% or higher of what it is that you're looking for, then you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. And uh, you can feel pretty confident about the decision you're making to go out and, and land that job, basically. Yeah. And and so I I love how like the first five are lumped together and you know that you, you have to finish those before you can jump into this next one, really. That's right. That's right. And they, they all roll up together. And so, you know, I work with a lot of students and young professionals on this stuff and, and so many of them, all they know about finding a job or creating a job is like interviewing and resumes and cover letters and the tactical stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that matters, but only if you know what you want. And, and so many people come to me and they're like, the number one question I get about careers is, I don't know what I want to do. How do I find out what I want to do? And yet nobody's concentrated on that. Nobody's teaching that stuff. And so that's what those first five sessions are all about. Okay. And so, so what, what do you, what's the next group then after finding your job description? Okay. So then it comes down to kind of building your personal brand and translating it into a job, right? And so in this case, um, you start off with some career research. You got to go out and find the companies or find the opportunities if you're an entrepreneur that are going to allow you to fulfill your ideal job description, basically. And so that's step one, right? Just go find the opportunities that match up with what you're looking for. And you can do that with online research. Um, You can do it by asking around to friends and family and just kind of putting it out there what you're looking for. And then you got to, once you know kind of the basic opportunities you're going after. You need to create in uh, steps, let's see, we're eight and nine now. You need mm-hmm. to create your resume and cover letter specifically for each opportunity. And so that's going to vary widely. Like your resume should look completely different if you're applying for Zappos versus if you're applying for Living for Monday or to work with like the Fizzle team, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you might be interested in both those things, but we have two completely different cultures going on and you've got to play to that basically. So that's steps. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with uh, both the cover letter and the resume making it unique to whatever you're applying to. And you know, if you're early in college or early in your career, it might be hard to fill a page about yourself, but as you get 
further along, you can expand upon the things that really would be attractive to the people that are hiring you for that job or, you know, showcasing different pieces of your skill that you have when you're at that job. If you're, if you're applying for a job that has to do with audio, video, technical stuff, and you did that while you're in this job for three months, but that's not on your resume, like it needs to be. You have to tailor them each individually. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, so many people look at those two things as like these archaic tools, right? Like we have LinkedIn now, why do I need a resume? And really a resume and a cover letter can be freaking incredible sales tools if you'll just use them the right way, right? And there's all mm -hmm. these little nuances to it, but essentially you've, you've got to tailor it to what it is you're looking for and you've got to put the time in to show that you even give a damn about what job you're trying to land. So that's the basic idea mm -hmm. behind it. Okay, so we're up to nine. So what's number 10? Okay, so number 10 is, all right, you know what companies or, or like what opportunities it, uh, you're looking for. You've built your cover letter and resume to go get it. Now you got to go connect with the people, right? What most people do now is they apply for jobs online and that sucks. You're a bozo if that's the way you're looking for a job. I'm just telling you right now because the reality is that in the first hour or two, hundreds of applications come in when a job is posted online. Imagine being the person receiving those. If you're the 201st person, are you even gonna think about that person? No, you're not. And that's if you're two hours after the job is posted. So the better approach is to go after the 50 to 60 to 70% of jobs that aren't even posted online. And the way you do that is you go connect with people personally. You go build relationships in a way that shows that you care in a way that builds trust with people. And then those are the people who are going to recommend you to jobs before they ever get posted anywhere because they believe in what you can do. And I totally agree with you on this. I've been on both sides of the equation. When I was in college, I would go to information sessions for companies that I wanted to work for. And because I went to those and I met the recruiter and I handed her my resume, she knew who I was, but she still said, okay, you have to, you still have to go and apply online because that's kind of the standard process. There's not, you can't discriminate or whatever, but they knew who I was and you go right to the top. If you make that connection, if you email like the manager that's hiring for that job or do an informational interview with them or something and show interest, you immediately rise to the top. And then on the other end, I've, been part of hiring for positions that I was leaving and going to another group and like looking at resumes and of like the hundreds of people that have applied, it was those people that had either reached out and shown that they actually like wanted the job or we knew of them through someone else or someone else recommended them. And so it's like you immediately rise to the top if you can do more than just click send on a resume. Absolutely. And so you can think of it this way, right? So if you go to um, Costco, and you buy this big box of, of computer paper, right? That's like one mm -hmm. stack of resumes, and those are the ones that come in through the online process. And then there's another stack, and this stack is probably 20 to 50 um, papers high, and that one's sitting on the hiring manager's desk. That stack is in their paper holder on their desk because they know you, they want you to be applying for the job, and they're gonna put you first, right? So they go through that formal process of collecting the applications online, but those things are in a box somewhere and may, they may never get looked at unless the preferred candidates don't work out. And so what are, what are a couple things you can do to get into that smaller stack? Absolutely. So you've got to go out of your way to go meet people, sit down with human beings, either over the phone, over Skype, or in person, and create meaningful conversations. And the way that you do that is you shut up and you ask good questions and listen to what the people say. That's all you have to do. 
And if you can figure out how to ask a few good questions, then people will naturally be drawn to you. And so what you don't want to do is go sit with people and talk nonstop. So the, a good rule of thumb is to um, split the talking at least 50-50, if not more heavily weighted towards the other person talking more. And you can ask questions like, you know, what is... Uh, the, what are the most important activities in your business, basically? So you're learning about what matters to the people who work in that company. Ask them about their frustrations related to those activities and hear what they're saying back because the reason they're hiring is because they have frustrations with certain parts of their business and they need people to come help. And so you can draw insights from that, right? And then ask them yeah, about... Yeah, when you show up to the interview, you can bring ideas to... Yeah. That's exactly right. You're, you're dead on, right? So you're playing a game and they don't even realize it. And, and then you can ask about, you know, what are the frustrations with, with people who get hired on new? Um, what are the best people do well in your company? And so what you can do is you can position yourself to be one of those top performers before you ever even sit in an interview seat, just by asking some good questions and getting those insights back. And this, this can work not just in a uh, company that's huge, that takes resumes online and never replies. It can work to work with one person or someone that's not hiring, convincing them that they should hire you to do work. And I've heard about examples like um, where you email somebody that's a big name and you have ideas for them and you're like, hey, I'm going to be in New York for a few hours if you'd love to meet up, even without having like a ticket booked to go to New York or to actually be there. And if they say yes, you pay whatever for a plane ticket, you fly there, you meet with them because it, cause it's worth it. And I've heard of numerous people doing that with someone like Tim Ferriss or you know Seth Godin or something like that. Oh, absolutely. And, and so the reality is that somebody like that, they don't want your resume. They want to know who you are as a human and they want to know what your natural talents are and how you can help them. And if you can prove it um, enough and you can really show your stuff without being abrasive or without kind of turning them off, oh man, you can get in the door without having to ever apply for a job, without ever having to create a resume, any of this crap, you can avoid. If, if you're doing the networking game right, if you're building relationships on a meaningful level, you can skip all the other crap. Okay, and so what's number 11? Okay, so 11 is, is interviewing, right? How do you play a different game in the interview? How do you take control of the process so that you completely stand out from your peers. And there's a couple, couple of basic tactics that you can use, right? Before the interview, you gotta re, readjust your cover letter and resume, right? So if you're gonna interview with a person, you should know who that person is before you show up. You should address your cover letter to them. You should edit your cover letter for anything you learned in your networking about this company or the opportunity in front of you. And you should deliver that cover letter and resume to the person you're interviewing with, right? First thing when you sit down, say, I know you may have a copy of this, but I just thought I would give you one that's tailored to you so that you know a little bit more about me, basically. So that's step one. Step two is you need to understand what's really being asked of you when they ask you a question, right? And so uh, let's use an example. So what if they say, tell me about yourself? All right, well, what does that mean? What do they really wanna know? Number one, don't talk for too long. Max, you should be talking is about two minutes. Number two, you need to under, understand um, what Ramit Sethi calls the hopes, fears, and dreams behind the question. And so the fear here is that you are not a good communicator, right? You don't know how to handle a question that has some ambiguity built in, and they want to know 
that you're not going to get into a situation where you're interacting with a customer or you're interacting with a team member and you just freeze up and can't talk. So that's the fears, right? And the hopes are that you are a good communicator, that you have mm -hmm. um, a way of making a point that is very clear and very convincing to the person you're talking to. So you need to kind of go through questions you may be asked and get good at understanding what's really being asked and what are the hopes and fears driving that question. And that's what you got to hit on. So that's number two. And um, number three is that, and this is a great tactic. I love it, right? So it's almost like putting together a proposal to win a sale if you're an entrepreneur, right? If you put together a plan for your first 90 days in the job um, and just kind of put together some basic steps of here's how I would approach my first month, my first 60 days, my first 90 days, that changes the game entirely. And that's how you close your interview, right? You say, listen, I really appreciate your time and I want you to have this plan that I put together so that you can picture what it would be like to have me come to work for you. And if you use kind of that three-step process, oh man, you're gonna blow interviews out of the water. People that are interviewing after you might as well go cry in the bathroom because they're gonna have no shot. <laughs> yeah, and I like that idea of coming to the interview with ideas because I've never been to an interview where they haven't asked, do you have any more questions or comments or anything like that? And I've always wanted, I've always had something to say. Like, you don't wanna be the person, no, I'm good. Like, oh, you obviously really want this job. Like, it's really such bad, a turnoff. You know? And you know, one of yeah. the big points of an interview is for you to figure out if it's the right opportunity for you. You're a bozo if you're not asking questions because you have no idea when you leave what that company's like. And so what I tell all my students and uh, my customers, my coaching clients is when you answer a question, you should have a question to ask them back. It should be a back and forth conversation in the interview. And so when they say, tell me about yourself, answer it in your two minute time frame, and then turn it back around on them and say, so what do you, you know, what job do you do? Or, or what do you do for fun? Or tell me a little bit about your professional background and create some interaction because that draws people to you. Absolutely. And so number 12, last one. Number last 12. Time. So most people forget that, you know, after you get a job offer, the game's not just over, right? Um, ideally what you're going to do if you use this process is you'll get multiple job offers or you'll have multiple opportunities and you've got to weigh them against each other. And so mm -hmm. step 12 is just evaluating and negotiating, um, your job offers. And so you've got to understand what your value is compared to other people kind of at your level. You've got to know what's negotiable and you've got to be willing to go back to them and say, without being a jerk, I mean, the, the point is not just to get as much money as you can for no reason. The point is you're worth this. This is what you need to live the kind of lifestyle you're looking for. And you need to go back and you, you need to get that for yourself because if you're really providing the value you say you are, then you deserve to be paid what you're worth. Right, exactly. And and I, I wish I would have negotiated my very first job. I negotiated ones after that. But my very first one out of college, I didn't just because I was scared. You know, like I wanted it so bad. And I think that's part of the reason why people don't negotiate is because they don't want to get the job turned down after they are offered it. And I've never heard of anyone that's gone to negotiate an offer and then they're like, whoa, 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 we don't want you for this job anymore. I think it's kind of expected. Absolutely. If you haven't, if you haven't negotiated a job offer before, it's terrifying, right? Like you don't want to screw anything yeah. up. You don't want to make anybody mad. But the reality is the people on the other side of that offer are making a business decision. And when they extended you that offer, 
they are all about business and they're going to try and get you for as cheap as they possibly can. There's no way they're going to start you at the top of the salary range with the first offer. How dumb is that? Then there's no room if you go back to them, right? And, and so I had the same experience when I took my first job. They offered me a, a $2,500 uh, signing bonus, right? And I was like, oh my God, that's so much money. I could go, you know, I could go to town with that much money because when you're in college, it's like you spend $10, right. you know, buying a beer for a night and, and you're broke. But uh, attached to that bonus was a two-year contract where I had to pay it back if I left within two years of starting my job. I didn't even think about that, right? I should have absolutely negotiated for either um, no bonus, no contract, or having that be a part of my base salary because what people don't realize is that your salary, your raise every year is a percentage of your salary. So if you had a bonus the previous year, you're not getting a percentage of that as an increase. Right. So anyways, there's all kinds of negotiation tactics that you can build into that process. And so you have all these 12 steps. You Hopefully you get a job that you want. You've negotiated it. You're in this job. And do you kind of revisit this after like six to 12 months as you're looking for another job or a couple of years or kind of when you get that itch? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a process that can be repeated every time you go out and look. Um, you know, ideally what you'll, what you'll be doing is, is more updating like your vision for your life, basically. You know, that may change over time as far as what kind of lifestyle it is you're looking to lead or, or what you're trying to build, what kind of legacy you're trying to leave. And so you may need to make some adjustments and basic, the basic idea is that you want to know that your current or next job or next opportunity or business you're starting is building towards the life that you want to lead in the future, right? And that may change over time. And so, yeah, you absolutely want, absolutely want to revisit it anytime that you're considering a change, whether that's a promotion or leaving your job or starting a company. Well, thank you very, very much, Barrett. I love this framework. I wish I would have had it when I was in college. I knew the tactics, like you said, like the resume and the cover letter and going to informational sessions and how to work a business fair and stuff like that. But like these types of um, processes that I would have gone through would have put me in a job that was better suited for myself as opposed to just the job that kind of happened because of the tactics that I was that I was doing. So where can people find more about you online and check out your course? Absolutely. So first of all, thanks for sticking with us. That was a little bit longer interview than normal, I know, for the <laughs> Cubicle Renegade podcast. So thanks for sticking with us. But if you want to find me online, uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Barrett A. Brooks, two R's and two T's in Barrett. You can find Living for Monday at livingformonday.com. And if you're looking for a job or thinking about looking for a job and you want to find a job that matters, you can check out our course at careerkickstarter.com. Awesome, Barrett. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Caleb. Yeah, take care. All right, you too. If you enjoyed this session, I've put together a Cubicle Renegade Toolkit with guides like the Get Paid Manifesto and the 10 Weeks to Financial Freedom email series. Head on over to www.pocketchange.com to get free access. Be sure to subscribe on either iTunes or YouTube and give us a review if you liked what you heard. Until next time, keep hustling. Thanks for listening to the Pocket Changed Cubicle Renegade podcast at www.pocketchanged.com. To read this episode's show notes or check out other sessions, head over to cubiclerenegade.com.